Welcome to the Nightmare Box presenting The Art of Wargaming. I'm Yaga Malark. And I'm Onishiro. And this is our first episode. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Brett, uh, for helping us put this together. Of course. Um, uh, uh, Brett, Brett is the producer over at the Nightmare Box, and uh, he is getting us off the ground here. And we could not be more excited to be doing this. Uh, Oni sitting over there wincing at the beverage I did provide for. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. I can't help it. It's still good. Uh, so uh, this is the art of wargaming, uh, and and this is going to be a show dedicated to, much like it says, the art of wargaming. <laughs> we're going to be talking about Belagarth, and we're going to be talking about Warhammer 40k, and we're going to be talking about um, a, little, a little bit of military history. Um, but a little bit of background on Oni and myself. Um, I am Yaga Malark, and that is a, a name within the Belagarth community. Uh, I am a, a passionate gamer and a history enthusiast. I love military science. I've been studying it for a long time. Um, I've been uh, fighting in Belagarth since 2003, uh, and I've been teaching uh, Belagarth since uh, 2005. Uh, Oni joined me in that. In uh, oh, When did you start fighting Oni? Mm, I started fighting uh, tentatively in uh, 2010, but I've been swinging sticks way too long. And you've been helping me teach gladiators for about seven years at this point, right? Uh, this year will be this year will be eight, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, so, so what we're talking? Oh, uh, Oni, did you have anything else you wanted to say about yourself? Real quick? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, hey, uh, I'm Oni, <laughs> Oni Shiro for long. Um, yeah, I've been fighting for a hot minute. Uh, come from a family of professional athletes. I've been, I've been fighting a long time. Team sports are fun, you know. But until Bellagartha, I was a, I pushed myself solo directions. So, this is this Bellagartha is incredible for for many reasons. Among many other team uh, fighting sports that are on the rise, it's just a, it's a it's a interesting new uh, wild west for us. It's just a good community too. You know, Definitely, people who enjoy seeing you at your best and and kind of pushing you to get better. Um, so the, the Gladiators Club that Oni and I have been working on uh, started back in two thousand and five um, as a, uh, if you'll believe it, a senior project for myself. Um, I'm not sure how many students get a fight club put into their schools as a uh. <laughs> senior project, but I did, um, and it's been going steady ever since. Um, and has produced some some amazing fighters who have gone on in Belagarth and accomplished a whole lot of good things. Uh, and when we can, we've done something called the Officers Academy, mm. uh, which is where we teach the kind of material that we want to cover in this podcast. Um, but before we go much further, we need to talk about what Belagarth is, because a lot of you listening probably uh, have done Belagarth before, but a lot of you probably have no idea what, what that word even means. And so before we go much further, uh, we want to kind of talk about that. Um, Belagarth is a, like a medieval or fantasy-themed combat society uh, that is centered around organizations like units and realms, um, and it has taken on a, a rather martial art. Uh, Truly. Uh, it started off as a LARP back in 1979, um, and... It definitely has, like I said, become its own. Its own. Uh, there's people who come to it and are teaching ex escrima and how it applies to it, uh, Kali and how it applies to it. It's a little bit less actual sword fighting than you would think because we have so much impact involved in it. Um, but it, but for anything involving batons, which is really popular among military and police forces, um, it's it's very applicable. 
It's it's a heavy striking and uh, stabbing style. It right. doesn't concentrate heavily on the head, which is counterintuitive to most, you know, fighting styles, but uh, it prevents people from, like, serious, serious injury. Oh, yeah, because the the thing about Belagarth is we swing for the fences. Like, there is no maximum strike. Full contact. In Belagarth, yep. And there's grappling. Um, it's... Yeah, it's it's a ton of fun, especially if you're younger. As I'm as I'm 32, I find myself more in the archer role, <laughs> away from that front line. Strategy, strategy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so again, Belagarth operates off of a point-based system where if you strike somebody in the leg, they go down. They can't use that leg no more. You strike them in the arm, it goes away. Uh, two points, which is say two limbs, results in a death. Torso counts as death. Stabbing doesn't count toward death unless, of course, it is in. The torso. We a vital avoid, shot. Avoid the head because um, the brain is housed there. Uh, you can, <laughs> but, but you Somebody can sh- haven't figured out the football just yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can still no shoot people shit. in the head, which is awesome as an archer. I mean, yes. like, or the arrows are padded. Obviously, that, I should 30, put that in there. 35 pound max? Yep. Yeah. 35 pound, ma- or 35 pound max on the bow. Um Jeez. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun to watch your friends give you that sour face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's Belagarth. We're going to be talking a lot about that. If, if you don't know much about it, www.belagarth.com is a great place to figure out what it is, um, what it's all about, and uh, where there might be a realm near you. Um, oh, speaking of realms and units, a, a realm, we've been using that term a lot, too, is a geographical um, a quantifier that uh, is, is like where you are. And so like here in Stygia, where we're at, the, the city realm is called Stygia. And so everybody who practices here in the city is, belongs to the realm of Stygia. Now units are something entirely different. Units is, is a bit more like uh, the 49ers or the Sixers or, mm. or something along those lines. It's your team. Yep. It's who you're trying to get points for generally when you're going to events. Is it like the football thing, like a state type situation? No, it's all over the place. It's oh, okay. all, like my, my unit, uh, most of my guys are back in Michigan and Tennessee. I gotcha. um, And so, uh, and, and Oni, uh, he's got people all over the place as well. So um, All over. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so the, the units can be very diverse. They can be very like there's there's units as small as five people. I think that's the minimum unit size in Bellagarth, yep. up to hundreds, um, and 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 that's the kind of numbers we're talking about here when we're talking about events. Like a practice can be anywhere from a, a group of people sparring and working on their form and technique, to literally thousands of fighters taking to the field and fighting a war, a, a, a battle. Of, of actual proportions <laughs> and that is yeah it's and it is not an exaggeration you know there are there will be 500 on 500 plus fights and it is absolutely obscene it's absolutely crazy you know there'll be one one-on-one armies you know there'll be one-on-one on one-on-one you know like four ways but it's just it's absolutely insane and there's Nothing else that will teach you battlefield awareness, you know, and fighting like multiple forces or a large force than yeah. like fighting with that many people. It's incredible. That's nuts. Yeah. You so guys got a favorite like battlefield moment? Oni, you got a favorite battlefield moment? Like, you, like, Lots of them. <laughs> you don't have like the top tier. Like I got, I got that guy. Bro. I got. Mm. I got one. If if you want to go ahead, you first. Yours. You first. So. Nobody really knew who I was in Belagarth before this particular Chaos Wars. And at this Chaos Wars, it was before I was really taking my fighting all that seriously. And so I was going with a shtick. And my shtick was a shield 
and a bag of rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, a bag of ro- a rock. A rock is a legal weapon in Belagarth. It's literally just foam inside oh, a fabric. Not a literal. Not an actual rock. I you were walking around with a suitcase full of boulders. Oh. <laughs> no, it's somebody's whole life. You only got thirty five pounds on that arrow. You're about to bag somebody over there with a bag full of rocks. Dog. What? <laughs> Uh. As fun as that would be, um, <laughs> no. It, it, but but it was it was the the Bellagarth legal uh, foam rocks, and and so I was running around, and I was I was having a good old time. I was yeah. winning some, I was losing some, but I came to find out that I have a fairly wicked short game when it comes to you know lobbing these things into people's heads, which is the only legal target with a rock. And so it, it comes yeah, to the end of this headshots fight. only. I'm sorry, yeah, it's an amazing, <laughs> amazing weapon. Um, but it comes to the end of this fight, and it's me, and I'm this. Cassius, what are you doing? I'm yelling at the cat. He's just <laughs> taking this moment to try to. Um, yeah. His hands were rocks. It's true. Continue. He, want, he wanted to contribute. Um, <laughs> so I'm sitting there at the end of this battle, and it's me, the scrappy mountain boy who's like only a few years old in the sport. I've got my shield, I've got my bag of rocks, and I'm against a fully armored opponent who has a helmet by the way Uh, he's got a a body shield and a flail for those of you that don't know what a flail is Uh, it's a long stick with a bit of rope with a ball on the end of it so this this guy's full meta he's full meta (laughs) especially for the time this was this this was the time when like it was it was it was bodyboarding no kidding do you Um, do you remember the flail size Probably Max. I mean, it was gigantic. Yeah, Fisher. I mean, it was also it's also being blown up in my mind. I mean, of course. The first time I told the story, <laughs> he's it was seven this and a half feet tall, and then it was this big, and then oh my god, he was. I was David. <laughs> but the results, the results are what tell. So what happened was he squares up on me, and he has a nigh perfect defense, except for a very small gateway above the shield, beneath his sword that he has in a guard above it, and in the narrow opening in the front of his faceplate. And I toss one of my rocks just perfectly. And he looks at me with such anger. And I didn't realize that all of the people who had died previous to us had all gathered on the side of the field and were watching. And they had gone silent. They were watching this confrontation between the plucky upstart and the established veteran. And they went wild. They went wild. And that was the first time in my entire career that I remember people actually remembering my name. Like suddenly they were like, you're the guy with the rocks. (laughs) Like, thank you, I've got massive stones. <laughs> uh, so that was probably my favorite, just because of the sheer unlikeliness of it. Like, I tossed mm. the rock. I, I was like, there's no way I'm getting out of this, yeah. but I have to throw it. I mean, I, I can't just stand here and let him kill me. Or <laughs> no, hell no. But I got him. I tagged him. Hell yeah. Dude, yeah, I'm, my story is oddly similar in a different way and kind of ties into this uh, first chapter we're talking about today. Um it was at one of my first events, uh, Thaw Brawl, and uh, I'm not sure which one it was. Must have been, uh, hmm, must have been 11, maybe 2011, maybe maybe 2012. I think I think I went within the first year of fighting. Word. It must have been. I don't think it was 2010 though. But anyways, yeah, yeah right. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit! It's an official nomenclature. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, regardless, okay, uh, yeah, um, I, uh, I had been fighting, it must have been, it must have been a few years, because I've been fighting, uh, I'd been fighting quite a few, yeah, it must have been after two, two and a half years of my career, 
uh, I've been fighting spear, like mm. almost exclusively. Not good at. I was did not have any kind of positive weapon training with with striking with a stick. No scrambling, nothing. Like it didn't it it didn't click with me right away. But the spear did because I had a lot of formal history with that. Well, not a lot, but enough definitely. And uh, and it just clicked. So the next step for me was the glaive, and I went uh I went big. I went seven foot eight foot you know uh as soon as i could and it just made sense because once you get that rush is what kills your spear you know that rush that rush down is what ends it so you're always looking for another you know what what can i do to better that you know of course striking so uh this was this was like my first event with the glaive and uh it was one of those battles where you're completely outmanned but i had been I was on a runner. Like, I was just wrecking people, wrecking people, wrecking people, not using a really aggressive backpedaling, you know, glaive style where, like, I couldn't... It made it almost impossible to rush me down, you know. Still could, of course, you know, but uh, I was flying high for sure. And it was a massively outmanned fight. I had strung across the battlefield, finished a a fight, and looked over, and my last friend was, was dying, like, all the way across the field. And I was like... But I didn't give it a second thought. I just started going, boom, and all these people were tired. And, you know, in these group fight situations, you know, people are like, well, there's a million, there's, you know, there must have been, like, 12, 15 people left, like, tons of people, way too many people. But they're spread out, you know? And the ones across the field, they're just looking at me like, oh, dude, new guy's gonna, new guy's gonna get wrecked. It's cool. And I just start taking people down. Boom, boom, boom. Leg, boom, rep, boom. Two people after people, you know, armored people coming up, double stab, drop them. They're like, what, 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 what? And so they start, like, freaking out and panicking. They start chasing me. I'm, like, jumping over people, stabbing people, turn around. Like, no one's prepared to chase me down at this point, you know? And, uh... And so I was just, uh, I was in that place, that spot where you're just like, I can't be stopped. I got this. And uh, people on the sidelines were at the same type of thing. They're like, oh, and they start cheering me on. And so people that are dead don't even know what's happening. They're like, what? And this guy that I'm jumping over in full armor, big old shield, he like turns around as I'm jumping over this guy. Like, what? What's going on? Bam. And I slam the bottom of my glaive on him. Boo! And face check myself. Dude, so hard. Right in the face. Boom! Across the cheek. Like, across the lips. Dude, right? But I didn't I didn't stop. I didn't stop a beat. Like, I was just like, no, just keep going. Bam, 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 bam. Got everybody. Just wiped everyone. It was unreal. And I was just, like, riding high. Like, and, you know, <laughs> as Malark has his names, you know, Yaga Malark has his names for his reasons. I got my name for mine. And, and I was raging, you know. And then we started next battle. And... And uh, the guy across from me in the line just, like, was white. He was just, like, ghost white. And he, like, <laughs> stood up, like, oh, with his shield and his sword and kind of dropped it. And I was like, dude, no way. I've got these guys so psyched out. And he was like, oh, dude, your, your face. And I was like, whoa. And I touched my face and my mouth. He was, like, bleeding everywhere. There was, like, blood, like, pouring out of my mouth for the, from where the pommel struck me. And it was just, it was so funny, though. I was, I was like, gave myself way too much credit. Like, <laughs> But it was crazy. It's crazy what it does. Like yeah. it's crazy what those yeah. situations do. Uh, you know, when people people don't expect it. You know, they don't expect you know a John Wick situation, even if it's just a perfect storm. You know, they're like, oh, my friends got it. And your oh, wait, 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 what? What's happening? And then you know, by the time you're like trucking over there to get to them, you know, like st- out of breath still, like all your friends are dead. You know, like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, it's like the, it's that mentality. The, the, the fight is definitely a mental game, you know? 
And that's one of the things we definitely want to be covering in this show is how to, is how to capture on a bit more of that feeling, that sensation, that intensity, and, and, and funnel it through uh, practice and knowledge into a, a good fight. And applicable, yeah. And applicable fight. <laughs> I, I, I'm sitting here looking at my notes, and I'm like, my God, I use the word applicable a lot. <laughs> um, you got to teach you how to write shorthand. You'll be good to go. I, just, I need a thesaurus. That's a so the, so the other thing, getting over this introduction portion of it. No, 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 you're good. You're good. This is the introduction episode. This is the introduction. Um, uh, Warhammer 40K. Switching gears a little bit to something a little bit less physically intensive and a bit more mentally intensive. Mm. Uh, Warhammer 40K uh, came about in 1987. was created by Rick Priestley by Games Workshop. Um, and this is a miniatures game. So we're talking like a small army of plastic miniatures that you array on a table against your buddy um, and uh, and have a good game. I'm sorry, every time I've trailed off so far, it's because my cat has been making issues. He, he's picked this time to cause issues for me. Of course. Shameless plug, Jax does the same thing on Mistakes Were Made. Mm. Available on iTunes. <laughs> You were sitting here telling us not I to know, trigger this I break. You're fine. You're crushing it. <laughs> Young man. Cassius, you're fine. We're right here talking in the other room. Muhammad, I respect your opinions. <laughs> Can you say that online? <laughs> Muhammad, I yeah, we're not talking about... Yeah. <laughs> we are talking about the boxer. Uh, Muhammad Ali. Rest in peace. Hmm. Truly. <laughs> but anyways, it's it's it, it, it's a miniatures game. There's a lot of books that go with it. There's a there's a very intensive lore that you can get into, or uh, you can you can just play the game. Much like Belagarth, uh, there's people who mm. get really into character development and really into fantasy worlds and that sort of thing. And then there's people who are called stick jocks who just want to go out and, as the name suggests, hit their friends with sticks. <laughs> um, <laughs> I imagine there's a similar word for people like that in Warhammer 40k. I don't know what it is. I've only been doing Warhammer for two years. Comparatively, I've been doing uh, 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 Belagarth for over ten. I've been doing Warhammer for two. But I am in love uh, w- with this particular <laughs> world and, and what it has to offer. And again, it's it's armies. You actually have armies that are going against your opponent's army. And they're very diverse armies. You can have an army of uh, in- insectoid uh, reptile-looking creatures that are biological in nature and, and go at them. You can have uh, uh, an army of undead metal warriors that are unkillable by all intents and purposes, uh, infected things, uh, pure humans who are out there trying to just save the galaxy. Like, it's very diverse that way, and it's also just a really good mental exercise in the way of, like, a, a much more complicated chess. Um, Truly. <laughs> now the animals are having a, a, a joint effort to, to disrupt the Well, you introduced me to it more or less uh, via the game that you were playing the other day. Right. And, and there's, a, there's a whole game series, too. So like they've got a, like an action. Right. Yeah. And, and the, yeah, there's a bunch of different, different, different types of games, uh, different, um, uh, even just role-playing games uh, and that sort of thing within this. And so it's, it's just a, it's a very fun world, and it's also a really good way to teach military science which brings mm. us to the, the with we're actually this is a show about a little bit about Belagarth and it's a little bit about 40k but it is very much about uh, military science and so the modern applications of ancient text and 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 the broad concepts involves inside those texts that's going to be the real meat and potatoes of this show 
um, because I'm obsessed with this stuff, and, and I think Oni <laughs> shares my passion for, for these old books, these, you know, Sun Tzu, um, uh, Napoleon, Caesar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you may look at what, what, what these guys did, and, and it's an atrocity. I'm not condoning war. This, this show does not condone death, but it is a fascinating study, and, and that's kind of what this is about. Um, and so we're going to be using Bellegarth and 40K as approachable mediums to teach this military science and this history. Um, and we're going to be starting off uh, going through the art of war, which is uh, the Sun Tzu's art of war. Um, and we're going to be going through it chapter by chapter and, and not reading from the book directly, but kind of talking about the concepts and themes that he goes over and the applicability that they have in the... Um, uh, <laughs> I was about to interrupt you and be like, dude, get Cord to bring me more beer. And then you threw a marker at a cat. Yeah. <laughs> He literally, he's never gone after that corner. Not ever. He is waiting till right now because he's like, oh, he's causing he's trouble. Distracted. You know, well, you distracted. just used all five of Sun Tzu's big things from the first chapter of the you know, Old <laughs> You used your elevation? You hit that motherfucker with a marker? <laughs> Uh, elevation isn't something specifically discussed, but I believe you're just. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into yeah, Earth. That's Earth. That's right. That's Earth. You're, no, you're right. You're right. It was more of he a. He wasn't ready. He wasn't thinking. He wasn't. He had all the loyalty there was deception. I got the deception in. It was more of a, a warning shot. All you need to do is make noise within inches of that boy, and he knows you're on to him and his nonsense. That's the idea. That is the idea. I'm going to actually be right back. Uh, uh, yeah. You alright? Yes, I am. I'm gonna. He's got a plan for the young man. Oh, yes. Got the revolver on deck. This is this is the striker. It's a nerf gun. It's a nerf gun. (laughs) (laughs) It's a nerf gun that is cocked for punitive measures only. Um, Because this cat is is like most cats, a daring and intrepid trickster. Um, mm, so you, were, you, you had just brought up that we're about to get into this first chapter, but uh, this the Sun Tzu guy is somebody we need to know a little bit about first. Uh, he's the myth about Sun Tzu is that he was a general and a strategist under King Lu of Wu, uh, somewhere between 770 and 476 BCE. Um, that is largely debated within the academic community, uh, if that's actually real. It is more likely, given the fact that he discusses several strategies used directly within the Warring States period, that this was indeed a fact written, a book written during the Warring States period, somewhere between uh, 475 and 221 BCE. Um, and so this, this version of the text that I'm using right now uh, is from uh, somewhere, somewhere inside the Song Dynasty, for anybody that actually cares about that nerdy stuff. I, I'm a nerd, so... <laughs> Um, all right, so this, so the, the, the actual first chapter of the book is called Planning. And Planning goes over five really chief con- concepts that he's going to go over for the rest of the book, and then another really important theme that is another chief factor of this entire book, and really of all war and war gaming in general. Um, and so the first thing he goes over is the five decisive factors. And we're going to go over these ones in detail and kind of discuss how they apply to these three things we've talked about. And then the other thing uh, is deception. And we're going to go over why deception is so important in war. So the five decisive factors are moral compass. And this is from the translation. So this is uh, the English version of the Chinese. Yeah, whose translation will work? Uh, this, is, this is the James Trapp New Translation. Gotcha. Um, and uh, so the, the, the first thing he talks about is moral compass. 
And a moral compass is, is your leader in alignment with his forces? And so in a practical sense, we're talking about if you've got a leader who is a fascist, who is in charge of an army that is fundamentally free or, 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 or not politically aligned to what this ruler wants to do, the ruler is going to have a hard time getting his forces to do what he wants them to do, or in more, more of the point, die for him, which is really the whole point of a soldier. Um, Sorry to be dismissive to soldiers. I was one, by the Cheers. way. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, indeed. Much respect. Um, but I mean, that's that's. I knew, I knew that going in. That's the whole point: is that you're 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 in there doing that sort of thing. And so the moral compass is: can you get people to die for you? Do they want to fight for you? Uh, heaven encompasses all all things hot and cold, all things warm and dry, all things concerning the seasons or the weather. Um, Earth is about terrain, it's about measurements, it's about the height or the, the mm-hmm. low places in the ground, it's about where the crossings happen. Um, so it's about those, those very real, um, solid considerations. Uh, the general himself is the fourth consideration. Is he wise? He or she? Um, uh, I suppose I should use probably general neutral, neutral terms. Um, are they wise? Are they intelligent? Are they um, competent? Do they know the terrain? Do they know their army? These are all considerations that go into whether or not victory is attained. And then the final thing is regulation. Does everybody know to do the same things? If, you're, if your officer gives a, uh, a command, do you know how to respond? Do you know what the, the exact response is? And so a good example of this is two different armies could have two different things for forward. You could say forward to somebody, and that could mean in one group, we're going to be marching forward in an orderly fashion. And in another group, forward might mean we're going to charge right now. That can make a big deal if you're trying to go forward at the same time and do the same thing. So regulation is actually a super important thing in the decisive factors. We're going to see that all throughout our studies, mm. especially in the Civil War. Yeah. We've oh. got a lot of different people from a lot of different places in uniforms trying to fight together. Yeah. Down heavily even to uh, modern-day application in things like Bell and stuff, when you have teams that are spread across multiple states, like, you know, you have to be able to convey these that messages like and planning like do you guys like run up on each other in these parks a little bit yeah no. i mean <laughs> it's, it's, it's a street gang with yeah, rules yeah, you from Montana. well you do it with a foam weapon usually um, <laughs> you can use blunt strikes with the back of the hilt you can so fun that way you can use shield checks <laughs> no 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 it's an important question it is you know like what level truly, you know, full yeah. force except for the head, you know, and hands and feet don't count to ex- right. discourage. Throw rocks at the head. Right, and then there are things like rocks <laughs> that are head, but you it's just a chunk of foam. You can't, you can't deliver that <laughs> Nate Diaz like Stockton slap just reach out and start cracking. You would be surprised how a 35 pound bow at full draw yeah. feels like smacking uh, you in I the face. Yeah. Right. And it's a, that's equivalent size. It's about that. You know, they're they look donka, well, we're but. Yeah. Anyways, yes. You guys are talking. You're you're in the right direction. Uh, You were hitting on the right ideas with the. um, So, the example I want to use of these five decisive factors is the Battle of Agincourt, Um, and I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's one of those words that I've read a lot and heard little. So. um, I think you're right. It's either Agincourt or Agincourt or Agincourt. Or I, I, I imagine it depends on who your history Lord, teacher was. Oh, <laughs> well, there's going to be a lot of French. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
So yeah, he's going to be how we're kind of examining this um, in, in, the, in the terms of the historical sense. And then we're going to go through and analyze it in the terms of Belagarth and the terms of uh, um, Warhammer 40k. So uh, for those who don't know, the Battle of Agincourt was fought in 1415 uh, during the Hundred Years' War. It was a, a battle between England and France. Uh, the generals in charge were Henry V of England and Marshal d'Albert, another word I've only ever read, um, uh, who was kind of presiding over the French forces. Um, and this was after a, a long period of fighting. Henry was, uh, long story short, the Hundred Years' War was about who owned what. Yeah. Um, England and France had the habit of times of peace of marrying people to different sides and, and exchanging duchies and lands and titles and all these sorts of things. And so what that ended up doing was creating large swaths, swaths of land <laughs> in, in each other's countries that actually belonged to the other country. At one point, actually in the 1300s, the, the, um, most of France actually belonged to the English simply through marriage, not actually through any sort of conquest at the time. Mm. Um, so this was this had happened when there was a new king who had been put in charge of France, and he said to the king of England, "No, I don't want you to be in my kingdom." And England said, "We wanna," and there was a war off and on for a hundred <laughs> years. It wasn't actually for a hundred years; it was divided into three main phases. England um, did own like most of the world at this point, right? Uh, not not at this particular time. This was this was kind of during before, before that, ish the large colonial sense. expansion. Yeah, yeah. before um, the conquest. Um, they they had started to a lot of their colonies had started to spring up, but uh, no, this was kind of just kind of before that. Okay. Um, again, this is the the fourteen hundreds. Um, and know at what point England started running everything? But, uh, England England started running things kind of just before they started investing in the American colonies, which would have been in the fifteen hundreds. Oh, okay. uh, if you recall that uh, Columbus. I'm making massive air quotes here. Discovered uh, America in <laughs> Indians in 1492. Yeah. yeah, he thought it was until the, like the day he died. He was still convinced he discovered a, a, a route. Screw you guys. I found I found New India. I don't know what you're all talking about. I know there are zero Hindus on this land, but I'm fucking it up. Well, he didn't speak the language anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and syphilis will make you think all sorts of things. Mm. Um <laughs> Okay, why is this burning? Okay. <laughs> My brain is itching. Indeed. Where were we? Mm. Syphilis? No. Hundred Years' War. Hundred Year War. Yes. <laughs> yes. England wasn't quite at its It was still fighting its petty battles against France. Um, and so uh, what that amounted to was Henry was over there attempting to, uh, you know, in, uh, support what he was doing. So the, the Battle of Agincourt uh, kind of took place before and after Henry's involvement there, and it was probably his most successful battle that he run, ran, and it was because he understood, at least in that battle, these five factors that we just talked about. Um, and so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that before we move on to, to uh, again, broadening this up to Warhammer 40k and, and Belagarth. Um, so the, the purpose of the idea of the moral compass in this particular regard, Henry was in charge of his army. These were guys who had followed him over from England. Uh, they were over there because they believed in him or because they had been voluntold to go over with the king. But I mean, whatever it was, they were in it at that point. Um, uh, they were in a foreign place and they were following Henry and they were very loyal to him, uh, despite a lot of the really horrible um, health issues that were going on in the camps at the time. Uh, on the other side of things... they had like severe dysentery? Yeah, yeah. So oh, notice this, guys. Um, <laughs> look at a lot of those old paintings and tapestries of English archers. You're going to notice that it looks like they're not wearing 
wearing pants, and it's because they're not. Um, the <laughs> the water quality was so terrible in these camps most of the time that, of course, cholera, dysentery, or other gut things like that would spread like wildfire. And so, but you couldn't obviously take off a half an hour in the middle of battle to go shit behind a, a, a tree somewhere. <laughs> So instead, what they would do is just not wear pants, and then when the need struck them in the middle of the battle, just uh, right there pop a squat. Field. Not even squat, dog. You didn't. You didn't even need to stop shooting. <laughs> Cyclist style. I got you. Yeah, just lean off right. the side of the bike. You got a porta potty. Catch that arrow to the face. It's game over. Son. <laughs> hit you in the face. He's shitting himself while it's happening. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You were both shitting yourself simultaneously for strangely different reasons. <laughs> so those, those are the kind of health conditions we're talking about in these camps. Um, the men-at-arms and even the knights themselves were not necessarily in the best of... Con- uh, these very noble uh, videos we have nowadays of everybody looking so clean. Mm. Um, <laughs> I bathe weekly. Yeah, that's a recent thing. Um <laughs> So yeah, so the, the, the English, but the English had heart. They had they had strength of purpose, and they had a reason for being there. Obviously, the French did too, but it was a divided purpose. Uh, in name, they were under Marshal d'Albert, but in actuality, they were uh, several different you know lords and knights and barons who were having their vassals underneath them, who were making up this large conglomerate army. And they all had their own agendas. They all had their own reasons for being there. They were likely making political moves against each other in the time being. So this wasn't what you'd call a unified army, not in purpose or thought or in body. And so there, there's, there was the first advantage. Even though Henry was outnumbered three to one, his guys were all fighting for him. Yeah. Um, so when we're looking at heaven... And the, and the factors that it played in the Battle of Agincourt, uh, whether it was hot or cold or what time of year it was, it, this is um, October in mm. France. And mm. so we're talking heavy rains, yeah. very cold, not a whole lot of drainage. So we're at lots of mud, lots and lots of mud. And we're like mud Great so thick speed. that it would, if you sto- stood in it too long, it would suck you down up to the mid thigh. That's not that's not a good place to be it's in not any regard. Yeah, it's not functional. Like he was not even for cavalry. Yeah, well, cav can move slow through it, but they're yeah. not going to charge. They're going to amble, maybe. Like, I yeah, mean, like, but it's not going to be a, it's not going to be an actual, an actual charge. So this was the field that they were kind of fighting on. Was this this muddy uh, mid October kind of deal. Um, and, and then Henry played the earth to his advantage in a couple of ways. The first one was the actual terrain of where they ended up fighting, which was in this narrow area between two large areas of wooded area. And when we're talking wooded area, it's not like here in Montana, where you've got a lot of space between the trees and you can see between no. the bushes and like, you can actually see things and, and move around pretty good around here. This is tight. This is tight. We're talking, you do not ride through these woods without a machete and a whole lot of time on your hands. And so the idea of the calf going through the woods was just not feasible at all. And so what Henry did was he, he funneled the, the French into a narrow area, kind of taking away that, that large force and a, a large capacity of the mobility yeah. of the uh, cavalry to get around behind him. The second thing he did to manipulate funnels. the... Like funnels it. Slows everybody. Yeah, it destroys, yeah, destroys the one major advantage they have, which is the number. And mobility. Yeah, and, mobi- and mobility. Truly, truly. Straight um, Spartan mode. 
Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing he did was even better. He did went to go straight Spartan, but with an English upgrade. Um, and, and so what he, this is not an original idea for Henry, by the way. Um, a fellow general of his had used this tactic before in the Turkic, Turkic Wars, and, and he applied it to this battle because Henry wasn't dumb. He just wasn't innovative in this particular way. But what he did is he had every single archer or man-at-arms uh, carry around with them a large, about six-foot sharpened stick, a stick with a sharpened on both ends, thick. And what they'd do is they'd drive this into the ground kind of diagonally near them when they set up where they were going to be shooting from. And what this did is create an artificial palisade, which is to say a spiked wall that was pointing toward the enemy. And this accomplishes one of two things against a cavalry charge. Either it breaks the charge because the guys are like, I don't want to ride into a spike wall. Or it, they ride into the spike wall and likely get impaled. Or if they're riding slowly enough to maneuver through it, they they're going to get shot. They get shot. Uh, so this was Henry's way of changing the battlefield to his, uh, using the battlefield's already natural context to his advantage, and then changing the battlefield's terrain to his advantage as well to prevent this devastating cavalry charge. Because the the normal course of the battle at this time, the the way of normally that the, the, the it was fought was you send in the cav first. They break the enemy's ranks, make the lines disorderly, Punch and then a hole. Yeah. behind them come the normal dismounted or the men at arms, and they're coming in and they just do the hacking. That's, that was battle for hundreds of years before this battle was fought. Up until this point, the English had slowly been incorporating more and more English longbowmanship into this because they had a whole lot of peasants and a whole not lot of nobility. And so arming a large knight force like Spain or France had wasn't really po- possible. But they, they did have was a bunch of poor people. Uh, who were very strong from working the land. And so they some said, mad skills. Here's a bow. We're going to shoot you. Everybody's going to shoot in this general direction. And it was very effective. Um, and this was one of the first battles that proved that. Um, so the next factor was the generals themselves. Again, you had Henry. Uh, he was competent. He was witty. He had the, the, the boldness to kind of take the day and capture it. Um, on the other side, you really couldn't point to who was in charge because at each individual t- like area of the battle, there was a different person who was kind of running what they were doing. There was no cohesive plan. So to say that the French had a general in this particular battle would be a bit of a stretch, yeah. I would think. Um, so obviously, again, unity of command. Uh, uh, Henry's got that one in the bag. And then regulation. Again, everybody under Henry is wearing the same colors. They know that when you say forward, you mean that particular forward. Um, and so everybody's they're going by the same playbook. The French, they got a, a bunch of different regiments with a bunch of different commanders and a bunch of different ways of doing things. And so what you had there was a large cluster bleep, um, which <laughs> we were accustomed to um, uh, kind of seeing at the time. Um, so, the, so the battle plays out. The French charge being very sure of themselves, and they were expecting their men-at-arms to be right behind them. The men-at-arms got bogged down in the mud, and so their formations broke apart and slowed down. The cav hit Henry's lines. They broke. They fell back, disrupted the men-at-arms formations even more. Everybody gets tangled amongst themselves, and Henry comes in and takes a bunch, a nice bunch of prisoners. Unbeknownst to Henry, uh, another group of French soldiers had moved around to the back and hit the van. And so Henry seeing the uh, the fact that he was still outnumbered, uh, put all of his prisoners to death, and then <laughs> killed the attacking force. Because there was a danger of the prisoners joining, rejoining the fight. Well, Again, the Henrys were not yeah. known to passively take anything. I not mean, a gentle his name. His great-grandchild uh, executed all of his wives. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, he was trying to be cool, you know, he was... He's, he had some cool pants. You know, I've been to his house. <laughs> 
I've been in his little palace. It's like 15 minutes away from where my mom lives. He had mm. some, some nice pants. Some sick pants. So yeah. There's big, big bleak portraits of him. <laughs> big bushy beard. Well, with, with came the pants, you know, came some compassion. Exactly. But, you know, when they turn on you, then it's all out the window. The Henry's were just mad. <laughs> the result of very careful inbreeding, Brett. I know. <laughs> the, the English royalty. Uh, God bless them. But, despite their flaws, uh, Henry V did manage to uh, use the all five decisive factors in this particular battle. Killed all the POWs. Uh, well, we're not saying he was a moral man. No, I'm not saying uh, that's a brilliant military man. But that's... that's... It's a no-go for today, you know. Oh, yeah, no. World, but that is... No. I didn't know that at all. That's a sick... Yeah. It's well. It's definitely something covering here. There's a time and a place, you know, like, and that's why I was saying he. <laughs> well, not like that, but it's like when it's a major risk, when it's going to destroy, when it's going to potentially destroy you in that battle situation. You know, you have the choice to try to like follow that that code or to like truly be able to like defend yourself. Yeah. We got to get your guys out. Yep. It's a miracle those 400 people were not immediately executed. Yeah, exactly. You know, And it's a different time and a different right. era, but And, and that's regardless. the big thing. I, I've been studying history for a while, and I studied religion for a while. And one of the most important things that we have to remember when studying um, anything in a scholarly fashion is that it is, it's not supposed to necessarily elicit an emotional response. I mean, is it absolutely awful that he killed POWs? Would that mm -hmm. be frowned upon right now? Oh, yeah. Yes, and it should be. Um, but... That's not important for the for the, for what we're talking about, which is what the, the military genius behind it, and so uh, and the time and the place and the time and the place. Again, yep. we're not excusing it. I'm not saying I want to go back to 1415. Yeah. The French um, hadn't have been so French; those guys would have lived. That's right. That's right. Uh, it was definitely the French's fault. <laughs> the French hadn't set up that blockade. Those 400 guys would have got sandwiches. The French showed up. The 400 guys got massacred. That's uh, not Henry's fault. <laughs> Henry just doesn't like yeah, the so back door man. They didn't necessarily have cell phones at the time. I'm not sure that the French knew. Uh, uh, don't come in, don't come in. Uh, I blame the French. <laughs> How but did that did that work? The 400 did like what happened after the 400 died? I'm not sure where we're getting the number 400 died, but but I, after I thought you said he had 400 POWs that he had killed. By the I'm not sure if I I can't remember if I if I said a number I don't remember it now. Maybe um, <laughs> 400. I'm sorry. Um, but but what happened after he did that is he then went on to fight some successful battles and some unsuccessful battles and eventually the Hundred Years' War was won yeah. by France. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, come in, come in. <laughs> Oh, shit. Yeah, fooled mm. us once. We're never going back in that marsh again. Wee oui, wee. Oui, no deal. But see, but see, that truly, situations like that, where you're, where they took, you know, yeah. did every fr Frenchman die in that battle? We don't know. Did some of them see that they took prisoners and killed them? Yeah. Quite possibly. That, that teaches that, that person one lesson. Well, exactly. That creates a heaven for the, you know, that creates a heaven for the others, a, a unified force to follow. You know, that's why these rules are here. You know, it's not right to kill prisoners of war. You take them, you're taking them. When they find out that they were taken and killed in such a manner, 
all of a sudden by their own people. Yes, right. <laughs> that all of a sudden that that unified that ununified scraggly force of of generals has a reason to be mad. Has right. a reason to be pissed off at Henry because he turned on them in an unfair unmanly fashion and and no doubt that that absolutely led to the the polarization against the english because remember the english did have lands in france at this time um legal lands in france at this time but yeah imagine hearing about it because even at that time when it was probably more permissible or or less no, I'm, uncommon I'm not saying that it's he's a bastard for doing that i think you that, followed that, earlier that, you were <laughs> i got it i'm just saying no like, holy hell he made their that's like a negan move like that walking dead stuff it's like you're gonna beat your own dude to death but that's notice, notice yeah. that, that part normally doesn't also make it into the retelling of this tale usually when people tell the story of agincourt they talk about the defeat of the french knights there in the mud and they're like, all right, and that was the end. Yeah. We're not going to talk about the... Henry's contingency <clears throat> plan. <laughs> yeah. To turn, like, he, he went full shoot the hostage. He went Keanu Reeves speed on those people. <laughs> Again, I can understand the tactical decision in the moment. doesn't necessarily mean I condone it or find it ethical or moral, but, uh, but yeah. But, but uh, more of Henry's actions also bring us into the second part of what this chapter discusses, which is deception in warfare. Uh, and deception is incredibly important, and Henry played into that in this battle because beforehand he had interrogated prisoners. I'm sensing a theme here, um, and uh, and uh, he had found out what the general French plan was, which was to repeat what they had been doing every other time. And so, according to because of that, that's mm. the reason that the archers were all carrying sticks. They that's, were prepared. They were prepared. Yeah, and, but the French didn't know that. Right, they just assumed they were just gonna roll right over them, and it was gonna be a no problem battle. It was three to one. Yep, it was three easy. To one. Oh, been. easy. Uh, but it wasn't, <laughs> and and that was the deception that kind of went into that. But before we get into that, let's discuss those five decisive factors in terms of Bellegarde first, Oni, because I know you're mm. probably chomping at the bit to talk go. about with me. Oh, um, always. So that moral compass, like I, I think that that applies to Bellegarde because the units have actual leaders. Like you actually have people who are in charge of these units and making them do and go and perform in a certain way and so if you're not digging what your unit does for instance if you're a very high speed person the military term meaning somebody who's an overachiever um and, and you get <laughs> no dread no friends <laughs> but let's say you get stuck in a unit with a a a, a boss who isn't who isn't, who isn't that high speed. You're not going to want to follow them for very long because they don't share no. your values. Vice versa is also true. you got a high speed boss and somebody who just wants to kick it and relax most weekends. Uh, they're not going to vibe either. And so the actual leader influences the way that the, the unit takes shape. Who's going to be in that unit Truly. and what they're going to be doing and also what tactics they're going to use. Uh, my unit, for instance, the Dark Angels. Sorry, guys. I'm going to trade, give away a few trade secrets here. Um, <laughs> We, Sick name, by the way. Yes. We, we use a technique called um, wolf packing. And this is something that we can practice anywhere. It's not something that needs to be drilled or, or necessarily practiced together. But the idea is that you split up and you don't engage the enemy until they split up to try to fight you. And then you come together two on one, two yeah. on one, two on one. And, and you, you use these small numeric advantages to gain you a large numeric advantage overall. It's a very, fairly common uh, tactic with a lot of units, but it's something that we, we really enjoy. Uh, contrasting to that, the Urukai style, they love their shield walls. 
They rehearse their shield oh walls. Oh my gosh. And, and, and they live by the shield wall in a lot of cases. And everything that comes with it. And everything that comes with it. There's, there's downsides to wolf packing too. All these, yeah. all these tactics have their, their ups and downs. Um, but I think in a large capacity, that's, that's all influenced by the leader. What do you think about that moral compass affecting Belagarth? Oh, absolutely. It's huge. And it's, and it's weird. It hits in multiple fashions, you know, as, as you were touching upon before. It not only is um, based on fighting style of the unit, but also the unit itself is sometimes based on ideas themselves. Right. Just like, uh, just like the DA is, or uh, GS, God Squad, or uh, any of the, the Blood Falcons, any of the Elite Blood Falcons, you know, any of the, you know, Hellhammers, all of them, you know, like, and the area of involvement in within those units are all different, you know, just like some are like really into like the Gelf are really into like, uh, they're like out of combat, you know, like bonding and stuff, you know, they're tight, you know, they like spend a lot of time together and not that they don't all, but in certain manners, you know, and they build these, these connections with each other where like some, you know, some units are more like field and team based you know like uh like gs is heavily they're they're into picking the fight they're into like trying to strategize and you know use strategy you know on the field mainly and then they party you know all the time after uh the terminology he's using gs is for the unit god squad yeah close a lovely affiliated uh i've rolled with them many times uh uh, regardless of who is in the unit, you know, now in the past, whatever, they're, they're great. I love them. And, um, yeah. And lots of units do that, you know, like, and it's all just like, you know, what unifies them, you know, what is their heaven in that point? You know, is it the characters they play, you know, or, or is it the relations they have together on the field? Yeah. And, and, and of course, if a unit leader does something that his, uh, Unit members do find morally questionable. That can absolutely lead to div- div- oh, divisions and huge. perhaps even the breaking of units sometimes. So moral compass is actually uh, very important in Balagarth uh, when it comes to what we're talking about. Truly. Heaven is probably one of the most influential factors. Uh, the <laughs> heaven, uh, not the heaven Oni was just talking about, but the heaven that Sun Tzu mentions in here. Um, and that's to say that like weather, time of year. Mm. Um, I have seen battles won and lost by rain. The uncontrollable factors. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's, man, like, holy cow, especially on the field. Like, Footing. Oh, yeah, alone, post-rain, yeah, and that's what people don't think about. It's not just rain while you're fighting. Right. You know, that's going to, like, hurt the weapons and stuff like that. You know, it's, like, afterwards. It's the next day when right. everyone's like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. And then next thing you know, there are people slipping, sliding around, like, left, right, you know, digging holes for other people to slip, slide, fall, break in, you know, it gets crazy, you well, know. They know what the French felt like. Yeah, <laughs> truly, <laughs> truly. Uh, because that, that's exactly, like, that's one of the biggest things I've seen. I, I was in Tennessee for a year down in the realm of Dur de Marion. It's actually where I uh, met to the Dark Angels. Um, but one of the things I noticed down there is because of the torrential rainfall that they have there by comparison to Montana, the, the field is so much more wet most of the year. And because it's so much more wet, you have a lot more slippage and a lot more of that to consider. And suddenly uh, elevation becomes a really big issue because moving up and down in any sort of meaningful way, you have to be fighting the mud the entire time. Um, and then the mud also gets caked <laughs> onto your um, 
your 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 clothes and to your boots, slowing you down in that way. And so it's it's just this this, this whole huge consideration. Um, that yeah, that, that I think a lot of people don't think about. We try not to fight in the rain. We try not to fight in the mud. But also, what what time of year it is? Uh, definitely, people slow down when it's colder outside. Um, because you know you're nice Oof. and loose in the summer, but in those late fall practices, you know, it can and get, it hurts more. It gets sticky. It does hurt more too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, weather absolutely plays a factor, and those those un those unintended uh, or those uncontrollable factors like season and weather, Bellegarth is huge. Um, and then of course terrain itself. Like if you're yep. doing a woods battle, you're going to fight totally different than if yep. you're fighting on oh. a field, than you know if you're fighting on like a nice even uh, bumps hills. You know, people don't, they don't get it. They don't, they don't have any comprehension of like how much it actually affects their style. Even if they're like just night and day different, you know, it affects everything from your footing and your group movement to like battlefield awareness and like losing, you know, losing company, you know, easy, you know, all it takes is one tree. It doesn't feel like much, but you know, when there's an angle you can't attack at and there is an angle you can you know, other other squads are going to, you know, act in accordance. Right. And and people who have practiced forest fighting or, or woods battles um, are going to have a way a larger advantage over people who've never fought in the woods before. I know Huge. Uh, we don't do it much here. Like uh, normally you'd, you'd think that in Montana we'd do more of it. But most of the time we're in public parks here. Um, when I was in Tennessee, a lot of their events were woods battles. There was one called the Great Hunt, not to be confused with the organization, the Great Hunt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, it was it was entirely a woods battle, and, it, and like I got tore up because there were things that I had never considered. Uh, mm-hmm. For instance, blackberry bushes uh, that that had just said hadn't been a factor before. The world's um, largest carnivorous plant. Also, they ate my pants. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, but yeah, continue. So, so, so that terrain issue, it, it is, it is huge. And then the other factor to consider is, is incline. Incline is massive, not just because of where you're hitting. So like the people on at, who are at the lower part of the incline are at an immediate disadvantage because of when they throw a shot, they're throwing it kind of at their, their opponent's lower body, which is to say an easily shielded area. Whereas when you're on, if you're on the upper side, if you throw a shot, you've got their head and shoulders that you're aiming at far more, um, high intensity targets um but this is also true for a matter of endurance because you think about mm. it you're, you're, you're walking uphill Truly. by the time you reach the enemy you're already tired most people don't train to like walk uphill at first and then fight when they're up there in all yep. this armor with all of this gear whereas if you're moving downhill you got gravity on your side so that's 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 just physics that's physics that are coming into play right yep. there and that's stuff that we can talk about in terms of in terms of earth and how it affects um fighting on the field yeah absolutely Um, i mean what more can you say like fields are i mean i i hear two things i hear two things based on like how an event is personally which you know really is like very heavily is a you know it's a battle it's it's held by all those all those factors you know like the weather heaven being like part of it you know you schedule these these things so that hundreds and hundreds of people can come you know months year in advance right and so weather is bad well like excuse my french uh same and same with the battlefield you know like uh, chaos famously has had many many uh many fields and you know sometimes they're like like western right the cowboy chaos right was that it cow cowboy there was it was like the 
happened the one I had I went to chaos for the first time I skipped a year and then I went again though the year I skipped was called cowboy chaos I'm glad I didn't go but it was at like a rodeo <laughs> site and it was just there, there was no cover no cover whatsoever and this is in the middle of the Idaho summer and so it, it was like 115 in the sun like 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 when you're measuring the actual field itself and everything is just choked with dust and so yeah that that terrain and weather consideration made that event downright unfightable for a lot of people yeah where on and then on the other end of the spectrum you know you have like uh some recent uh locations in Idaho and such that are um so inundated with uh like insects mm -hmm. for example and everything that comes with trying to deal with them you know and the heat itself like some people just like it ruined them maybe not while the fighting was happening but like for the 12 hours 15 hours they weren't fighting you know like right. <laughs> terrible and those are those are factors in real battle and they're also factors in in our pretend our, our mock battle that we do um and so it's yeah it's it's those are important things to keep in consideration um the the next uh, of these factors that we're talking about though the general um can apply to two different things obviously in a large field scenario uh usually somebody's calling the plays even if they're not in charge mm. of your unit even if it's just two random sides fighting uh, each other um there's usually somebody who steps up and is calling the plays somebody who's uh, who's who's trying to drive the drive the bus is that the term i think the gelf used that term i mean that works great um, <laughs> yeah, does that happen on a squad by squad level or is there like one person overall that kind of meets up with everybody depends on the unit bingo depends gotcha. on the unit uh some units it's like uh it'll be uh for instance if i remember of the urukai command structure there's one person who calls who's calling the plays and then the other everybody else echoes that play and so that's how they make sure that everybody hears is, is somebody will be like, move forward. And then everybody screams, move forward. Oh, so and, they move. and each yeah, of those yeah. little wolf packs, you know, is running on a connected setup. They're a connected move. Where like uh, my one of my units, uh, my main unit, Shinigami, we all have different chapters. And we all run different separate strategies. And we're built on those, each, each chapter, you know. And so um, each squad, per se. And then we all use our co-tactics in a conglomeration, you know, uh, cooperatively. And that's how our squad fights. So in that regard, we all have separate generals that can communicate with each other, oh, you know, okay. that, that we... keeping an eye on one another to, like, deal with the initial, like, five to ten person team. Exactly. Okay. I got my squad. I see Kaji rolling his push. Boom. I know what the enemy's going to do. You know, I know. So instead of like the wolf pack, like DA with uh, Malark's rolling, where they're pushing, you know, when the enemy's break, starting to break and like losing focus. And they're like, now's the time. Boom, boom, boom. You know, so the pack breaks off. Boom, 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 boom. And they're all ready where we'll make uh, like strategized plays, you know, and someone will push. And I'll wait for the hole, you know, I'll wait for the breakdown in, in a very similar but different fashion, you know, where we utilize specific parts each time instead of all of us trying to break hole, you know, or shut down stragglers or shut right. down flank units, you know, which is a big thing I know you guys run into. Right, right. And so, and so in this case, the general may not necessarily be just one person. It may be several people on the field. Um, and it may be an entire conglomerate of people who are who, who have communicated on this way before and know what they're doing. And that's the big thing. Again, is this general, this overall hive mind, if it is more than one person, 
are they are they cohesive? Are they in of themselves wise? Are they temperate? Uh, and, and can they make the right calls? And if they can, the battle goes their way generally. Um, I mean, I, 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 there, there's something to be said for not having a plan, but there's also something to be said for making sure you at least have something going on. Because mm, probably the best truly. plans I've ever heard are, hey, Oni, you and me are going to stick together. Hey, you, you, Brett Cassius, you two are going to stick together and, and we're going to meet in the middle. We're going to kind of work around the edges of this field and we're going to meet in the middle. It's not a really specific plan. But it's it's overall, there's an arc. But it's but it's simple enough that everybody can can understand. You yeah. know who you're working with. You know who you, who's, who's back you got to watch. I know who's back I got to watch. Yes, you know? practice this so you know what happens when the split goes Right. Down. Yeah. Right. right. Um, and yeah, so that's all part of the general. And then under that as well is the regulation. You know, I've, I, part of the reason that my unit has such a, an intensive process for selecting people is because our regulation is being able to work on the wavelength of the existing members. We're one of the most typecast units I've ever seen, just in terms of like the way our energy is. I know that's maybe a weird way to describe no, it. No, it's accurate. Um, it's quite accurate. And so we, we have this because that's our form of regulation. We don't wear like all of us wear different clothes. We're like some units will have everybody's wearing the same colors mm. in the same way, or they've got a very pronounced <laughs> belt flag or a very pronounced symbol that they wear that everybody knows what team they're on. Yep. Um, for one thing, the Dark Angels are small enough that we all know each other, so we don't right. necessarily need to know who's on our team. It, it can it can um, help on those larger units where you got people fighting with you you don't necessarily know very well. Yeah, oh, you yeah. know, you can look over and see your colors, and you're like, okay, cool. You know, I know not to be startled. <laughs> Friendly fire is very real. <laughs> it is. It is. I was killed once. Uh, I was. It was when I was in the Urukai, which is a larger unit that does Brutal. use a lot of of um, everybody's in the same colors on the field for yep. that reason. And this is why I had gotten myself separated. Um, and at the time, there was another unit that was like a, a bubble unit, kind of attached but not a part of yeah. to the Urukai called mm. the Forsaken. Mm-hmm. And I had recently joined the Forsaken and was wearing Forsaken colors, which is red and black. The EBF, the Elite Blood Falcons, also. Are red and black. Mm-hmm, they truly. are not the allies. No. Of the Urukai. So <laughs> I like the Godfather room where everybody sits down and like designates. All right, well you killed my son. <laughs> <laughs> it would never end. The vendettas would never end. Oh um, my God, no. So I so I get separated from the main group, right? I'm out and I'm trying to flank, and I get legged, which is to say I get my leg taken, and so I'm hobbling back to my lines in my red and black, and Crinlan is one of my absolute favorite people. She's an absolute sweetheart and an amazing, brutal spear woman. And she comes at me with with malice in her eyes. And I'm like, Crin, Crin, no, Crin, I'm on your team. And right as she's gutting me, I see the realization dawn in her eyes as to who I am. <laughs> and she apologizes, she goes by, and it's like, oh, no, it's okay, we'll be up in a second. But it, it, it illustrates that same point. She was sitting there marching with people who were in brown and green and black. That was the uniform of the Lost people track. she was marching in. Yep. She lost track of who I was. And All she, she made saw it, was the uniform. And she I, made it... Oh, no, I'm sorry, No, please. no, it's okay. She <laughs> should have played it off as a mercy killing. Like, that's what you get! <laughs> no, but it was a, it's that split-second decision. You know, like, yeah. she's a spearman. You know, she runs support. She either makes the first shot or she enables the, the kill shot. Right. And at that point, you're dangerous. I was. You know, and she makes that split-second decision to make the kill and protect. Like, and it's, it's instantaneous. Yeah. And... All confusion between who, you know, who you don't know who's helping you sometimes. And, you know, even just someone you might know, you might turn on them if they bump into you wrong, not knowing, you know. That was half the reason I started realizing I needed glasses. 
was I started killing my teammates <laughs> at the end of fights. I'd get to the end and suddenly somebody would be coming running up to me and I'd be like, ah, and I'd kill them and they'd be like, dude, bro, we won. <laughs> it's over. Like, I was trying to give you a hug. <laughs> it's an art. It's an art form. I've gotten very good at it, at running main support, you know. Right. I, I run at them hand ex, ex, extended, yeah. you know, like palm out and I'm like, I'm here. I'll help, you know. And How you can... How crazy must those like Braveheart fights must have been? Like those William <sighs> Wallace level, like just... All, they're all white people with right. beards. Yeah, fighting their <laughs> fighting their own brothers. Yeah, yeah, like. But, but at least William Wallace, everybody cover, was like Scottish. You got to cover some William Wallace. <laughs> oh, we will. Oh, we will. Yeah, I love the Wallace. Talk about the Chaos Wars and then the is that the name of the big the big. Yep, one? that's one of the big events yeah. out Chaos, here. Chaos right? Battle for the Ring. Yeah. Um, Octoberfest. Octoberfest. Yeah, Chaos Wars is a, a big, awesome one. It's 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 been my go-to event for a long time. Um, yeah, yeah, and so yeah, like we were saying though, this the, the regulation is is very important because for this exact reason, and also because everybody knows the same game plan. They know that okay, uh, my unit is primarily a line unit. I know that if I'm a flanker, I need to stay near them because they're not going to come to me. That's a very important thing to know before you get on the field, and that's part of this regulation yeah. thing. Um, so, uh, 40k, when it comes to this, I, I know that some of these concepts might seem a stretch for 40k, but uh, I, I honestly think that they're not. Uh, the moral compass could be the, your experience with the army. Do you know how that army functions? Do you know the ins and outs of, of, of how it's supposed to run? Um, what its little tricks are? And that's all under moral compass, which would be it being united underneath you in another sense. Um, heaven would be... Basically, the scene. Brent, Brent, are you okay? <laughs> Water go down the wrong yeah, pipe. Brent. Choking on my beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like the scene that you're in. So obviously, you're not going to be having rain uh, during a during a 40k tournament. But what you might have is a hangover. Mm. What you might have is a very loud room that you're having trouble hearing your opponent over. Mm. Uh, you might have so those, or you might be in a scenario that is unfamiliar to you, or even an opponent that. Uh gets you you know gets to you yeah. someone that's in yeah. your head you know or someone you're intimidated by that could be considered heaven in this case yeah you know, like the weather of kind of what's going on um and so that that obviously pl- plays into this earth i think fairly obviously is the board itself the actual terrain pieces do you got craters do you got forest is it a cityscape is it a woodscape you know uh can i shoot you from across the board yeah. or am i gonna have to try to do it yeah like, and exactly <laughs> where are you in that in that earth you know are you starting in a good spot for you you know is your enemy in a much better situation absolutely like the game you were showing me yesterday like the the idea of a door being Mm -hmm. there was it changed the whole map yes it did as the same thing with it with an actual game of 40k like you have a large line of sight blocking piece of terrain in the middle like my main army for those of you who play 40k is admech so love me or hate me i adore my adeptus mechanicus which are these (laughs) robot dudes um and they and and the primary function of an admech army is to um shoot your enemy over there while you stay comfortably over here they're they're a long-range gun line army and so a line of sight blocking terrain in in the middle of the field means that i can't see you if you set up properly so that Mm. means i'm gonna have to maneuver differently than i would normally like if it's just open in the middle i'm like cool guys get the popcorn and fire up the cannons it's gonna be a short game (laughs) like but but if there's something to cover my enemy like that's different you know those orcs or gene stealers can get close to you yeah that's another that's another story entirely so that's earth that's earth's influence there um and then the general 
I would think would be the knowledge of the game. Did you just start playing the game two months ago and you still have to check the wound chart? Because if that's the case, a guy who's got that thing on lock is going to already have that advantage on you. Or just that, That's the most impressive thing, because I'm not really, like, this isn't my forte. Right, you know, right. Uh, is the amount of memorization that goes into these types of games. There's a large yeah. knowledge base, yeah. It's ridiculous how much you guys need to come up with. Like, me and him playing Madden, I gotta keep up with, like, the four plays I know. <laughs> I you know? <laughs> Your tight playbook. <laughs> Hail Mary four right, plays. Hail Mary left, <laughs> and run his fullback up the middle, by the way. <laughs> I don't oh, sounds injuries. like... I put people with broken vertebrae back in the game, I've never <laughs> it, it truly impresses me, like the the level that goes into uh, these like fantasy games and stuff. It's incredible. Definitely, it makes it really enjoyable. And and as somebody who's been playing, like I started, like most strategy gamers did, with Risk. And very yes. quickly, I realized that ah. Risk did not resemble anything about strategy because I didn't get to pick anything about Risk. I didn't get to pick. My, my disposition of my troops. I didn't get to say, hey, I mm. want more tanks than I've got infantrymen, or vice versa. Like, I didn't get to pick anything about that. All I get to do in Risk is roll dice, and <laughs> I don't play dice games for the yeah. most part. I'm a, I'm a card guy. people in Australia, so I don't know how I get 35 <laughs> people on Australia. <laughs> no, I, but you can conquer the world from Australia, apparently. And so, so yeah, there's this the huge wave. Yeah. issues with Risk. And so I, I graduated from Risk to Axis, Axis. and Allies. Oh, thank you. Which was, which was also pretty cool, but again, just didn't all, because it was so limited. It was just it these, does. these things, these places. And then then I shifted to diplomacy, you know, mm. a little bit more complicated, a little bit more nuanced. You know, you're creating these these really complicated and elegant uh, supply chains and, and, and chains of support that make your dudes invincible as you're moving on other people. But even that lacked the nuance that I was looking for. And then I found Warhammer 40K. And in Warhammer 40K, you can make your army whatever you want it to be. If you want to be a bunch of screaming barbarians running at your opponent with axes... You can do that, Space Wolves. Um, <laughs> if you want to be um, a highly sophisticated, highly technologically advanced gun line that uh, shoots your opponent from over there, Admech, <laughs> um, you can do that too. But there's all these different... There's, there's horde armies, there's elite armies, there, and, and so whatever creativity you want to do with the game is yours to do. And so the general needs to understand that. And in the context of what we're talking about here, the general needs to know not just his armies. I don't just need to know Admech. I need to know, if I'm going against Eldar, I need to know Eldar. If I'm going against Chaos, I better know Chaos, yeah. because otherwise they're going to be pulling stuff at me that I can't prepare for. And one of the things Sun Tzu says a lot is, if you know the enemy and you know yourself, you're cool. If you know yourself but you don't know the enemy, uh, you'll do about fitty-fitty. But if you don't know anything at all, you're not doing great. And that and that is that is the general here, and that is, again specifically ties to 40k because if you don't got a firm grasp on the rules, it's just not going to go well yeah. for you. There's so many rules. There's a lot of rules, so you got to read up on that. It's um, all about learning the box you're playing in. That's right. Yep, and breaking yeah. out of it. That's how you keep a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm married, sir. <laughs> Steve, be on that. Badunks. I don't think I got the joke. You may have been over my head there. You have to know the box you're playing in. Oh, it's a lewd anatomy joke. It is a lewd anatomy. He got went it. there. He I went, got he, it. 
I got it. That whole a vagina was referred to as a box. Yeah, I didn't go there. I don't. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> nope. That's not. That's not where I went with that. We're gonna change topics I right now. <laughs> this is for children, Brett. <laughs> so regulation uh, then. Moving on. <laughs> Regulation <laughs> would just be list coherency. If you're building a list in 40K and you're building it primarily to do shooting, but then you, you put in a bunch of units that are specifically made for melee, that's not a coherent list. You've yeah. got things in there that don't support the other. I'm not saying that if you're doing uh, a shooting list, you shouldn't have things that can do melee. That's not what I'm saying. Because if you're well, not without melee at all, you have a complete open spot. But the, the idea is... There's enough diversification and enough specification to get your idea across. What do you want to do with your list? And does everything in your list accomplish and support Excuse me, that goal? Um, so yeah, I, I think these five decisive... I think we're good on these. What do you guys think? I'm there, bro. Good? All right. We're going to move on to deception for five seconds. Oh, oh. And this, oh, is the, no. this is the last thing we're talking about, but I think it's really important. Sun Tzu goes on this whole thing about how it's good to appear close when you're actually far away. How it's good to appear strong when you're actually pretty darn weak and, and vice versa. And and how it's, it's honestly a good thing for your enemy to think you're in one place when you're actually in another. And these things apply to both of these games in multiple ways, I think. Huge. Um, so I think we're going to start there and then we're going to end with a story of, of one of my favorite strategists. So let's talk about Belagarth and let's talk about deception, Oni. Mm. Uh, because in one-on-one fighting, I think deception wins fights. Oh, yeah. Oh, down down to a T. You know, like 100%, especially in the 1v1, because you're playing with nobody but them and yourself, you know. And plus, you know, heaven and earth, of course. Like, right. those are the extra factors. But that all plays into it, you know. Like, you got to go into it, you know, knowing the holes you can shoot for, you know, knowing what you are bringing to the table and knowing how that's going to conflict with your opponent, you right. know. Absolutely, and if you and if you if you don't properly measure that, if you underestimate, you're gonna any kind of plan you're gonna make is just gonna get a hole punched in it like that fast. It's it's you have to play it smart, you know. And if you're at an underhand, like you have to trick them. You yeah. have to use your mind to best them. Otherwise, you will lose. I want to tell us a story about a fairly controversial figure in Belagarth, but. I really liked the man. His name is Slag. And he had a very clever tactic that I tried to adopt from time to time. Maybe not as much as he did, but he, he really hammed it up. So he'd, he'd come to the end of a fight, and and sometimes it would be him, and it would be the other team. And it would be five or six guys on the other team had survived, and it's like him who had survived on his team. And so he'd approach them, but he'd do so with his shoulders sagging. And with his head mm. kind of down and kind of mm-hmm. breathing heavily and looking at them with kind of a forlorn look on his face as though he was tired beyond reason, dragging his Straight equipment. Straight out of stamina. Dragging his equipment, like his shield and his sword, literally kicking up dust behind him. And and they just approached them. And then about five feet away, his eyes would sharpen up, his mm-hmm. guard would suddenly be there, and he would just light into these dudes who were not prepared for a man who was actually very well rested and very well 
in the moment, ready to take on the situation. Uh, but this, I, I like to do this all the time. I like to start with a low stance. If I'm intending on striking high, I like to start with a high stance. If I'm intending on striking low, um, if somebody has a good guard, I'll sit there and I'll look them in the eye for a couple of seconds. And then I'll look at their right shoulder. I'll look at it real hard. And then I'll hit them in the leg. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because because Straight people up. are following your eyes. They're, they're sitting there being like, and then they see you moving and they're like, oh, he's going for what he's looking at. And it's like, no, man. I don't have to hit what I'm looking at. Like, <laughs> all the time. You want to yep. get that perfect uppercut in a fist fight, flinch your left fan. Right. Land the right because it turns the head. You can pinch the fucking chin. Yeah, it's the same thing with blocking. If you can get somebody yep. to really dedicate to a block to the right side of their body, it leaves the left side of their body completely open to whatever you want. You want a kidney? Here's a kidney a la carte. You know, you want you want a rib? They got extra. It's okay. You know, like and, and so it's. It's 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 wonderful, and, I, and it needs to be done. Like if you're if you're a good fighter, you can become a better fighter if you start just throwing little deceptions in there. One of my other favorite ones is the pointing of the sword. Hmm. Uh, Miyamoto Masashi advocates for pointing your sword blade directly at the eyes of your opponent. And his now for him, he's sticking it way out there. He's sitting there being like, hey. Hey, like you're making a zone of control because for one thing, nobody wants to advance on a sword point that's pointed at their eye. But the other thing here to consider is that human eyes are not actually capable of seeing in the third dimension. We mathematically calculate it with uh, organic trigonometry, but we're actually two-dimensionally sighted creatures. Um, And so this works out when you're using a sword tip because if you are keeping a low guard, for instance, and... My wife just walked in. Say hello, hello. everybody. Hey, Court. Hi. Hello. Hi, Court. Hi. Hi. But if you are keeping a low stance and you're fairly decently away from your opponent, but you point your sword tip directly at their eyes, you can actually move your sword closer as you're breathing and as you're just circling them, and they won't notice. They will not adjust their guard accordingly because to their eyes... Your sword is still down where it was. And then you throw your strike, and they're like, oh my gosh, you were so fast. And it was like, no, dude, I was there the whole time. I just took advantage <laughs> of your little monkey brain. Truly. That false trigonometry you run. What's up? Truly. Um, That's, yeah, I mean, myself, as a style, I, I run completely on mind games. Mm-hmm. I I run, you know, I'm running eight-foot glaive. I run DPS support, you know, I... All I have is sprinting movement and mind games. Like all, right. all I have is trying to mess with someone. Same type of thing. Uh, you know, I create a, uh, a one third with uh, fakes with red shots and stabs. You know, right. it's so, it's so. You know, first tier is throwing the red shot. Right. You know, or the stab. You know, second tier is faking the red shot into the stab. You know, and then they start. You know, people start seeing that, and then third tier. You know, high tier fighters. They see that fake coming, and then it's, is he going for the stab, or is he going to let that red fly? Right. right you know, right. and it's just, it's just naturally works that way. And I'm glad you touched on feints, because feints are an amazing way to incorporate, you got, you got, you got your beverage to back up there, bro? I think so. Oh, and for me too, please. Thank you. Good sir. But yeah, only that, 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 uh, the fainting thing is huge, because I honestly, like, I only throw three shots. Like I, one of the things you're going to notice throughout this this show is something that my students have been learning since 2005 is that I enjoy snitching on myself. I enjoy telling you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I enjoy telling you how to beat me. I enjoy making people better because it makes me better. And and this is is what I tell you. I only have three shots, but I throw 
about 10 feints that make people overcommit to a block or overcommit to a particular footing that lets me redirect immediately because my body weight is exactly as I didn't intend to throw that shot in the first place. And, and then I redirect <laughs> and throw one of my three shots that I've practiced 10,000 times. Uh, for instance, my kidney wrap. I love my kidney wrap. It's my bread and butter. I'll never put it down. Um, and I, I throw it probably 70% of the time. That's, it's that's a great shot. But I, but, I, but I land it most of the time because of feints. Feints yeah. are huge. Yeah. Um, you go straight for that kidney wrap, and people figure it out. They'll figure it out, and they'll start countering the you. Block. Yep, but it's you reset their mind. You know, you put pressure on them, and then go, okay, wait, now make another quick decision. Yeah. They're like, oh, what? What? <laughs> kidney wrap. Oh! <laughs> so, yeah, the one-on-one fight, deception, absolutely uh, plays a huge role. In the field fighting, it, it, it plays a massive role as well in the fact of, like, when you're sending flankers around, you don't want to send them right, right away. If you've got flankers who are going on the no. side and, and they leave immediately, your opponent's going to know what they're doing. They're going to send the appropriate people to deal with it, and your flanking maneuver is just going to be throwing away bodies. Game over. However, if those flankers wait until the enemy team is mostly committed, if they wait until the enemy is no longer looking about in an observant manner, then suddenly that flank is a much more tantalizing thing. And so that deception, that looking like you're committing to a line fight and then breaking into a flank is huge for that misdirect. Absolutely. And like myself, you know, like I I am pretty fresh, you know, to Warhammer and stuff, but I've been I've been tussling for a hot minute and I am a a uh, as you would say a whore for the PVP. I love <laughs> any type of PVP and anything. And like what's really interesting is to me is not the first stage of mind games the second stage of mind games, but the third stage of mind games, right, right. where the deception starts getting brought in, and then you are looking at how is your opponent going to react to that deception? Right. You know, like it's easy to get an easy win on a quick, you know, deception bang, but like how long will that last? Especially against reliving opponents, right. you know, opponents that have a chance to learn and get back up and fight as well, just right. as we do. And, uh, that's one of my favorite uh, things in Bellegarth is to uh, aggravate the the incident, you know, to, to create the deception and then do the opposite. Right. Go to one end of a line, right? I'm a, I am a loud, loud fighter. I use it to my advantage. I key up in people's faces. We called Some... him Link for the first several years he was with us. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I'm terrible. It's ridiculous. It comes from martial arts background, but it's effective. It's good. I do the same thing. I just do, I do it with breath. I end up blowing people's hair out of their faces because they go in their face and they're like, dude, what the hell? And I'm like, it's, I'm sorry. I'm just doing breath control. It's, it's what Odie's Breathing doing, action. but silent. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's, and that's what it is, you know, like, and so I use the deception of my character type, you know, what people have the perception of me to my advantage when I decide to do exactly that. So I'll roll to one end of a field, bust out with a, a couple aggressive shieldmen, you know, that have my back, bam, and start red, 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 just like lighting up a line. And all these fighters that don't know who I am or like aren't prepared in any way will just immediately crumble yeah. to that. And then all of a sudden you have veteran fighters watching. They know, they know who I am. They know what I'm doing. They're like, oh shit. And they'll be like, right side, right flank, right flank, Oni, you know, and they'll all of a sudden they'll pull. And people that know that, you know, you've got 
high-tier fighters, high-tier flankers, counter-flankers, they're going to push and try to counter that, right. which is what you have to do. Right. So then at that point, you have the third stage meta. You have the third stage mind game. And that's when I'll duck out. I, ha- I roll a low stance, you know, so people will hear me. And I'll bounce down the line. People will hear me way too far away. <laughs> and so I use that to my advantage. I roll that side, that str- those strong shieldmen, and that side, hopefully... They, I pick them, you know, like knowing that they can handle this. And I'm like, I'm out. Boom. And I duck, drop low, sprint, poof, go to the other side of the line. You just pulled a pocket. You just pulled a positive pocket on their side. And even though that side might lose or drop, you're making a weak point. You're making a huge weak point. And then all of a sudden you're rolling in real quiet on another side, punch a hole, boom. Then DA, you know, a Malark rolls in. I, then I'm rolling with a Malark, not a Shieldman. I'm rolling with a quiet, deadly DPS, and we just drop a line. Yep. Boom. Then it's over. It doesn't matter how good that pocket's doing, because they've got men at their back that That's they right. don't know about. Uh, yep, and, and, and this also directly applies to 40k in that exact same way. If you can com- get your opponent to overcommit to one side... And then redirect your force somehow, either through deep striking or through a repositioning mechanic of some sort, or even if they're quick enough to just do it on their own. It applies in that exact same way. Never hit your opponent where they're expecting it. Never give them the shot that they want because they're going to be ready for it. They're going to be defending against it. It may seem like the quote-unquote honorable thing to do. But there are no knights in this podcast. There's mm-hmm. only a war master. And uh, we don't believe in that concept of honor. Um, and so real quick, uh, before we end here, I want to talk about Shugo Liang. Um, and, and how he used deception uh, to, to win a particular battle. Now, I didn't do as much re- research on this particular battle as I did on Agincourt. So oh I can't my quote it specifically. But the gist of it is, Shugo Liang was serving a lord. And there was a different warlord that was kind of ravaging the countryside. And this lord said, we need to go out and meet him in the field. Zhuge Liang said, no, our walls are strong and we can defend just as fine here. We're going to have a better chance here. We should stay. But the lord was impatient and wanted to go out and earn his uh, good name. And so he rode out. And for was the glory. For the glory <laughs> and to death. Because <laughs> he death. was defeated. And so suddenly the, the oh, other spoiler. Uh, rulers of the of this city are like Zhuge Liang. Um, oh, crap. We, we, we have like half an army, and it's the untrained portion of the army. Um, our, our main lord and our the main army is gone. What are we going to do here? And Zhuge Liang says, you need to listen to me and do everything I say exactly. I need you to take the army and send them away. Send him away. Send him to this uh, pass specifically and tell him to uh, wait in ambush. And they're uh, like, they're like, Shuga Liang, um, they're not going through <laughs> that pass. And he says, don't worry about it. Just send them to that pass. Next, I need you to throw the city gates wide open. And they're like, oh, I think uh, you, I, you uh, don't understand the purpose of a city gate. This is a very violent man. We're supposed to close these things. And he says, nope, throw them wide open. And he says, and then I want every old man and like woman, all the, all, like the, the non-combatants to be on the street sweeping. And they're like, okay, well, you're obviously insane, but if we're going to die, let's do it entertainingly. And so this is obviously <laughs> paraphrased, by the way. Um, and so they're out on the streets. And Shugo Liang goes up onto the, onto the wall of the city and begins to play an instrument. So before too long, the warlord arrives. And he sees the scene in front of him. And he sees the, uh, the gates wide open. He sees the people just sweeping the streets like nothing's bothering them at all. And he sees Shugo Liang. Shugo Liang, one of the greatest strategists and generals that China has ever known. The man himself. The man himself, sitting on top of the walls, calmly, 
playing an instrument. And so the general's advisor is, is like, dude, let's go. <laughs> we got it. It's wide open. Look at that pearl open and waiting. And the general's like, no, man, we need to fall back. We need to fall back and regroup. And his advisor's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? That's an open wall and no army. That, to me, one plus one equals two every single time. This is, and he's like, no, there's got to, they're lying in wait. They've got horrible weapons in there. The entire army's waiting for us. We've got to go. And so the army retreats back to his land through the pass where the army sent by Shugo Liang is waiting in ambush. Yeah, dog. <laughs> so Shugo Liang defeated his opponent in that particular instance without lifting a finger. And he did it with open gates. The art of deception. Truly. The exact and opposite of the Trojan horse story. That's right. Right? <laughs> well, see where that's, where, you know, the riding in and, and you know, reckon a fool basic is that level one. The Trojan is that level two. And then forcing your opponents into their own Trojan is that level three. And that's Shugo Liang all day long, man. Warring States, by the way. Love that that period. We're going to be looking mm. over that at some point. Uh, but we're going to wrap up here. I think we've given Kristen more than enough to work with for our first uh, show. Uh, Brett, oh. Brett has been more than patient sitting here and trying to keep us on the rails. No, you guys did um, great. I'm, 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 I'm very excited about this. Thank you. Thank you. Most can excellent. Can we cheers? We can cheers. Cheers, cheers yes. And, uh, and yeah, and to you guys listening, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was informative, um, and I hope you'll keep listening. This has been uh, The Nightmare Box Presents The Art of Wargaming with the Yagama Lark and Onishiro signing off.